Well, turning your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're continuing, of course, our study of Paul's second letter to the church at Thessalonica. You remember on his second missionary journey, he established this church. It went great. He was only there for maybe a month or maybe a little longer than a month. They ran him out of town. He went to some different places, ended up in Corinth. And from Corinth, he got word that there were some issues going on. So he wrote what we call First Thessalonians. And then after he wrote that letter to this church, he got some more information that, some, that they were going through persecution, that some people had told him some false information about the end times, and all kind of things were happening. So we've seen that these issues were going on, that he's writing to encourage these believers in the midst of persecution. That's basically chapter 1. He's then writing to encourage instruct them concerning the day of the Lord. They were told that the rapture had already happened and they were in the tribulation. He writes to correct that. That's basically chapter 2. And then he writes to giving them information on dealing with problem believers. There were people who weren't working. There were people who weren't serving. There were all kinds of things going on. And so that's chapter 3. And so this is how the book fits together. For the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at chapter 2, which is the end time events. He gives instructions about the rapture and the day of the Lord and the tribulation and the Antichrist and the second coming of Christ. And and it, this verse today, or these verses today, some of them are a little bit hard, and sometimes people take these verses completely out of context, and, and we're going to show, show you how it fits together. Paul thanks God for these believers, and that God will deliver them from the tribulation, and he prays that they'll stand strong in God's comfort and strength. So there's a lot in the passage this morning, and, and there's so much we can apply. Uh, we'll go fairly quickly through it, but there's a lot there. When you think about end times, uh, it's important that all believers understand the end time events. Some people think that they're not important. I've had people say to me, oh, you don't need to study the end times because it's just all going to happen anyway. Well, we, we don't, some people say, well, then what's going to happen? And they don't know, but they just, you know, do that. It's really actually fun to put it together, but it's also hard because you have to go to a lot of places. Think about this. To put together end times, just basically, you need to go to Daniel and Revelation and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Matthew 24 and 25 and First and Second Thessalonians and Second Peter and Jude. And that's just the basic places to go to be able to put together because the Bible speaks so much about God's plan for the ages. Well, this morning we're going to look at that in review. You remember that these believers, somehow they thought that they got a letter from Paul or some kind of message from Paul that the rapture had occurred, they had been left behind, and they were in the tribulation. He found that out, and so Paul writes them to say, wait a minute, no, 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 that has not happened. He writes to correct this. If you remember in chapter 2, and as we were studying chapter 2, in verse 2, he says, I don't want you to be bothered by some message that the rapture has already happened and that the day of the Lord has come. That's not true. That hasn't happened. He said two things have to happen first. He said the first has to be the rapture, the departure of the church, and then this man of lawlessness is going to come to power. We've seen this in the past. We said that this is the church age. Jesus died and rose again. He sent into heaven, but basically that arose again, walked on the earth 40 days, then ascended to heaven. Church age began at the day of Pentecost. We're in the church age. The next event, Jesus is <clears throat> going to come in the clouds, and the dead in Christ, this is in First Thessalonians, the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive remain to be caught up together with him. And so we're going to be taken out. After that will be basically a time of turmoil. There'll be a 10-king federation, a three-king federation, then one man will come to power. We call him the Antichrist. Revelation calls him the beast coming up out of the sea. He's going to come to power and make a peace pact with Israel. That, whoops, excuse me, I hit the wrong button. Uh, he makes a peace pact with the nation of Israel, and it lasts for seven years. So that, 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 they're, they're confused because they thought they were in that. Paul said, no, 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 you're not in there. The rapture's got to happen, and then this man of sin come to power. 
And he had already told them these things. In fact, Paul had already taught these truths to him. In verse 5, he says, Don't you remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? Now, what we saw last time is that the man of sin is going to come, but the man of sin, uh, the Holy Spirit is holding back evil. Now, we talked about it last week. It's a little bit strange. We say that the world is bad, but the truth is it's not as bad as it could be. There's going to come a time when the church is taken out and the Holy Spirit, it said last time, and we looked at those verses, that the one who is restraining will no longer restrain. That's the Holy Spirit. He is no longer going to hold back the evil that he's been holding back, and there'll be the tribulation time period. There'll be the man of sin come to power. When that happens, this man will be demon-possessed. He's demon-possessed, and he claims to be God, and it says, and we saw it last Last week, that the people who reject Jesus Christ during the tribulation, now this is during tribulation, will fall for the lies of the devil and they will believe that this Antichrist man is the Savior of the world and that he's God. And they're going to believe that. And we saw that last week when he says that they will be, believe the lies of deception and there will be a deluding influence and all that kind of things. And so what we realize at the time of the tribulation, those who reject Jesus Christ will be deceived during the tribulation time period. So there'll be the rapture. Church will be taken away from the tribulation. The Antichrist will come and unbelievable believers will be deceived. Now, in our passage this morning, he's going to say to these believers, listen, that's not you. That's not you. You're not going to be in the tribulation. You'll see the glory of Jesus Christ in the rapture. So you need to stand firm now. One of these days, Jesus is going to come get us, and we won't be a part of this. So if you were told, and remember, this is the flow. You've got to understand that when we study the Bible, one of the things we've always taught at Stillwater Bible is this, that when you study the Bible, you always study it in its context. The flow of these passages is these people have thought maybe they were in the tribulation, and Paul is saying, no, you're not in the tribulation. There has to be the rapture first and then the man of sin. People will be fooled during that time period. What he's going to say this morning is, but don't worry about that because God has chosen you to be delivered from this tribulation. Let me give you the outline of the study. We're going to see it in verses 13, 14, and 15. Believers are delivered from the tribulation, so stand firm now. He talks about it in verse 13, that they're delivered. In verse 14, he deals with the rapture, the glory of Christ. In verse 15, he gives the standing firm. And then we end the passage this morning where Paul prays for these believers and that God loves them and comforts them and he prays that God will comfort them. So there's a lot in the passage. Some people look at this, they'll take one verse, they'll pull it out of context. So we're not going to do that. I want to show you the flow of the passage and how it fits together. So let's start first. Believers are delivered from the tribulation, so stand firm now. That's what he says. And this is verse 13. God will deliver them from the tribulation. They'll see the glory of Christ at the rapture and they'll stand firm. Let me read the verses. Look what he says. But we should always give thanks to, to God for you, brethren, <clears throat> because by the, by, by, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. The word salvation can be translated deliverance through sanctification by the Spirit and faith and truth. He's talking about deliverance from the tribulation. Okay, that's the flow of the passage. Then he says, it was for this he called you through his gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. When did we gain the glory of Christ? When he comes as the glorious appearing as our God and Savior. That's the rapture. And then he says, so then, brethren, stand firm. And we'll see that as we go through it. So that's what those three verses. Now, when we start it, just remember this. The flow of the book, and one of the things you have to do, whenever you study the Bible, you cannot just pick a, take a verse and pull it out of its context. Think about the verse that says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm with you. 
How many times have people said, you need to get two or three people together so God can be with us? Does that mean he's not with you when you're by yourself? Of course not. And if you look at the context of that passage, that whole passage is talking about church discipline. And he's saying when people gather together, the two or three, and make a decision church discipline-wise, it's, that's the way it's supposed to be done. It has nothing to do with saying, let's get two people together so Jesus will show up. And people take verses out of context all the time. So let's look at verse 13. Just remember, in the flow, that there's going to be a rapture. Then there's going to be the tribulation. And during the tribulation, there'll be the Antichrist. And unbelievers will be deceived by the Antichrist. They have rejected the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and they actually are deceived and believe in the Antichrist. From there, Paul, notice he's going to say, but that's not you. Notice how verse 13 begins. But, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. He's saying, we thank God for you. Why? Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. The word sozo, the Greek word for salvation, means deliverance. From the beginning, he's planned that you would be delivered through sanctification spirit and by faith in the truth. Bottom line, God is going to deliver you from the tribulation because you have believed the truth. You believed in Jesus Christ, you're part of the church, you won't be part of this. Remember over here, the people in the tribulation are the ones that did not, if you remember, they did not receive the love of the truth. That's what it says. So he's making a contrast. The people who are in the tribulation are the ones who did not believe the truth. These believers are the ones that did believe the truth, and they will be delivered from the tribulation. Now, I'm going to talk about the verse in more detail in just a minute. So bottom line is this that they're set apart by the Holy Spirit in faith and the truth. That's how the verse reads, so that when they believed the truth of Jesus Christ, they were set apart in Christ, and they will be delivered or saved from the tribulation. That That's the flow of the passage. If you take the verse by itself, you might think it's saying something else, but you have to look at the flow of the passage. Now, let me say this. There are two ways you can take this passage, this verse, because let me read it again. But we should always give thanks to you, to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation, and then how? Through sanctification, spirit, and faith in the truth. So there are two ways to take this. What is the salvation that he's talking about there? And the two ways are salvation from the tribulation. Now, that's the actual best translation or the best interpretation because that's the flow of the passage. He's been telling them about the tribulation. They're not in the tribulation. Here's what's going to happen in the tribulation. But God has chosen you to be delivered from this. That's the best way to take the passage. You could take the passage and you could say maybe he is talking about eternal life salvation. Maybe he is. If he is, the bottom line is, how do you have eternal life salvation? Because you believed the truth and you're set apart. So either way, it comes back to faith in the truth and you're delivered. Either delivered from the tribulation or maybe you're given eternal life salvation. Now, the best way to take the passage is you're delivered from the tribulation because that's the flow of the passage. I know people who will turn this verse by itself, have no context, and say, this verse says that you were chosen for salvation, and then they don't even read the last part of the verse. So when we look at it and we look at the flow, I think the best way to translate this passage is 
God, we ought to thank God for you because he has chosen from the beginning that you would be delivered because you had believed the truth and you would not go through the tribulation. That's the best way. Now, let's look at the word salvation for just a second because that's uh, God's plan for those who believe the truth is set apart by the Holy Spirit and will be saved from the time of the tribulation. That's the best way to take the passage. When you think about it, the key word here is salvation because what does salvation mean? Every time people see the word salvation, most of the time people go, oh, salvation, that means eternal life salvation. I want you to understand something. The Hebrew word for salvation, there's a bunch of Hebrew words for salvation, but over 80% of the time in the Old Testament that the word salvation is used, it's talking about a physical deliverance from an enemy, 80% of the time. When you get to the New Testament, it's a less percentage, but many, many times in the Bible when it's self-salvation, it means a physical deliverance, but it also could mean eternal life salvation. It could also mean Christian life salvation. It could also talk about what we call glorification future. So anytime you look at a passage and you see the word salvation, you cannot assume that every time it says salvation, it means eternal life salvation. I think in the flow of this passage, the word sozo in salvation is referring to deliverance from the tribulation. And that's a great truth. And by the way, uh, that's true for all of us. Any of us in this room who have put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, we have believed the truth, we've been set apart by the Holy Spirit, we will be saved from the tribulation. You're not going to be in it. We've talked about that a lot when we did the book of Daniel and all the end times, and we saw that one day Jesus is going to come take us out, and we won't be part of that tribulation time period. He has saved us from that. And so when he says from the beginning, I think he's talking about the beginning of that, the fact that they believed that they are saved. Saved from what? Saved from the tribulation. I think that's the best way to take the passage. And, and so that's the setting. So bottom line, when they believe the truth, they are set apart by the Holy Spirit to be delivered from the tribulation. That's what he's telling them. Remember, the reason he wrote the letter is they thought they were in the tribulation because of the great persecution. Oftentimes, we realize that God says, I'm going to deliver you from the tribulation. Listen to this. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He had already written to them, and here's what he says. For God has not destined us for wrath, the wrath there is the tribulation, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about eternal life salvation. He's talking about salvation from the tribulation. So he's already talked about that in, chapter, in, in the first letter in chapter 5. So just remember that when you see the word salvation, you have to say, okay, what, what does the word mean there? How does it fit in the context? Is it past salvation? Is it present salvation? Is it future salvation? Is it salvation from an enemy? Is it salvation from the tribulation? Is it salvation from, from being separated from God forever? How does it fit together? Now let me just say this. If you were to say, well, I want to take it the other way, I want to say that it means that, that God saved me through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth, and I want to take it as eternal life salvation. I'd say, okay, if you want to. I don't think that fits the context. I don't know why all of a sudden he talks about that right in the middle of the tribulation part. But if you do, it still goes down to the fact that the reason that a person is saved is because they believe the truth. It says faith in the truth and sanctification of the Spirit. So either way, it's by faith that you're delivered, either delivered from the tribulation or delivered uh, and given eternal life, either way. So it's, and it's the same for each of us in this room. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, not only are we 
delivered from eternal separation, but we are delivered from the tribulation. Now, I want to stop and throw one other thing out. There are people who take a verse like this, and they say God chose people for salvation, meaning he picked people out. There are people who believe that out of all the people in the world, God just says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick some out to be saved, and I'm not going to pick these people out. That's what they say. It's called election. Now, let me just say this to you, that election is a little bit confused by a lot of people. And or let me put it this way. It's, a, it's really confused by a lot of people. Uh, when you look in the Scripture, you're going to find that almost in every aspect of election, it's election for service, not for salvation. We, we get a magazine called Grace and Focus. We just got the issue in yesterday. It's out on the table out there. If you'd like a copy, get it. One of the articles in there is chosen by God, and he's talking about chosen for service, chosen in Christ. So I want you to understand that. One of these days, I think, in our grow groups, I think I'm going to do about a three-part study on election and that kind of thing because there's so much confusion. There are people who are teaching that God decides that he's going to just pick a few people to be saved, and the rest he's going to send to hell. And so here's the real question, and this is what I want you to think about. Does God pick people for salvation? The answer is no, he does not. And some people say that he does, but he does not. Does God do that? Does he pick out some and, 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 and others? The bottom line is this, God so loved the what? The whole world that he gave his son to die. And whoever does what? Believes. Does he just pick certain people? Let me show you something. Does God just pick certain people for salvation? No, God wants all people to be saved, not just some. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 6. God, it's talking about God who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Why? There's one God and one mediator between God and men. That's Jesus Christ. And Jesus did what? Gave himself as a ransom. That's a payment for all, all people, the testimony given at a proper time. First Timothy says God doesn't want anybody to be lost. He wants all people to be saved. He's, he's the Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one that died for all people. So when somebody tells you that God decided he's just going to pick a few people, the answer is no. Second Peter 3, 9 says God's not wanting any to perish but to come to a knowledge of the truth. Listen to this. God so loved the world. Hebrews 2.9, Jesus Christ tasted death for every person. 1 John 2.2, 2, he is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. Jesus Christ died for all people, wants to save all people. He doesn't just pick out a few people. So understand that. And so when a person takes a verse like this, pulls it out of context, doesn't look at the flow, they can try to make it say anything they want to say. So what happens? He says, you're not in the tribulation. God has decided because you believed you had faith in the truth that you will be delivered from that. The next event is going to be the, the rapture. And so he's told them, the rapture's coming. You won't be a part of this over here. You're going to be taken out. And since the next event's the rapture, look what he says in verse 14. He says, it was for this, he, this, this deliverance that he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this, the fact that he is, he's going to take you out of here, you're going to get the glory of Jesus Christ. When do we get the glory of Christ? We gain the glory of Christ at the rapture. But what do you, and you say, what do you mean by that? Look at this right here. 
Titus 2.13, we're looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the what? Of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes in the clouds and the dead in Christ rise first and we who are alive and remain are caught up together with him, we get the glory and the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, it was this he called you, that you would gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you can be in the rapture, not the tribulation. So it's a powerful thing. We gain the glory at the rapture. So there will be the, the rapture and the deliverance of these believers. So what does he tell them to do? So then, since this is all true, what does he say? Stand firm. Stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. He says you've got to stand firm and hold to the traditions. By the way, the word traditions doesn't mean like, you know, our tradition is we always do this on second Tuesday of the month. No, that's not what he's talking about. The traditions, he's talking about the Bible, the Scripture. He says stand firm holding to the traditions by which you were taught, the truths of the Scripture which you were taught, either by word of mouth or by letter. He, he taught them. He, he told, either what he told them, 2 Thessalonians 2.5, he says, don't you remember I told you this? Or what he wrote to them, 1 Thessalonians 5.27, he basically says, so read the letter that I have written to you. And so he says, stand firm. God has planned to save believers from the tribulation and see his glory at the rapture. So we are to stand firm on the word of God knowing that we'll not go through the tribulation, but we'll see Jesus at the rapture. That's the best flow of the passage. He ends with a prayer. And there's so much in it, but we're just going to touch on it just barely. He prays for these believers, and notice what he says. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope. And he says, may Jesus Christ himself and the Father. He's, he's asking both the Son, Jesus, and the Father. He's, he's praying to them. He says, may God do this. May Jesus do this. May the Father do this. And what does he say? He has loved us. He has given us comfort. And he has given us good hope, all based on his grace. He has so loved us, he sent his Son. He has eternal comfort because we're not going through the tribulation, but we have eternal life. He gives us good hope as we look forward to the future, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Savior. And with that in mind, here's the prayer. May God comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. He wants us to be comforted. Listen, if you thought you were in the tribulation and it was horrible, and it was horrible, they were being persecuted all over the place, and you thought you were in the tribulation, and then Paul writes and says, you're not in the tribulation. The rapture's going to come first. You're going to be gone. Then there's going to be that tribulation. So you need to stand firm. And the God who comforts us, may he give us comfort and strength now. And then notice what he says. Comfort and strength your hearts in every good work and word. Our good work in our word, our works, that's our deeds, our words, that's our message. He says, and whatever you're doing, in word or deeds, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do by your words, that's your message, or your deeds, that's your actions, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a very powerful truth. May we all be comforted and strengthened by God in our message, that's our words, and in our deeds, that's our works. So let me put it together for you, because it's a hard passage. Paul reminds the Thessalonians that God, God's plan is to deliver them from the tribulation. They will see the glory of Christ at the rapture. They are to stand firm based 
on the Bible. God, Paul prays that God will comfort them and strengthen the Thessalonians in their words and their deeds. That's a very powerful truth. So let me give you some applications that we can apply from this. Number one, as believers, may we realize that God has delivered us from the coming tribulation. You know that, right? Do you in this room know that you're not going to be part of the tribulation? Understand this, that the unbelievers will be deceived in the tribulation. When the, Jesus Christ comes and gets us and we're gone, there's going to be a terrible time on the earth. There's going to be that ten-king federation. There's going to be the one king comes to power. He's going to claim to be God. We already saw in Thessalonians that he puts his idol up in the temple and claiming to be God. And the people who reject the true Jesus Christ, that reject him, they will believe this and fall for the lies. The unbelievers will be deceived. But we, we will see the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ at the rapture. We will gain the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he will, he's come. And, and think about this. Uh, by, as believers, we will, we will be taken out. We will not be in the tribulation. Remember this great truth. And sometimes we, you, you know, we just want to make sure we say it a number of times. The greatest message of all is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he died on the cross to pay for sin, and he rose again to conquer death. And whoever will believe in him will have faith in the truth, will believe in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. And when we have everlasting life, we as the body of Christ will be delivered from the tribulation, and we will see the glorious appearing of Jesus at the rapture. And that's what we see. And as we talked about it over and over, this is what we're waiting for. And there is nothing to happen. Nothing has to happen before Jesus to come. He could come right this second. He could come any time because he is, he's gone to prepare a place for us. When he gets us ready, he's going to come back and get us. He'll come with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain to be caught up together with him in the air to meet the Lord in the air. That's what's going to happen. And it could happen any time. We have been delivered from the time of wrath on the earth. We are delivered from the tribulation time period. So that's what's happened. The second thing, the um, second application is let's stand firm living by the word of God. We have to stand firm. We have to believe the truths. We have to understand how the Bible fits together. And that's why it's so important that you study. And that's why we study. That's why we go book by book, verse by verse, passage by passage. It's called expository teaching. We believe that we, you, you have to see it in this context. Let me tell you, I could pull... 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, out of context, and say that salvation there is eternal life salvation, and God picked you out to be saved. I could say that if I don't have the context, if I don't know how it fits together, if I don't read the rest of the verse, if I don't put the whole context together. You can make the Bible say just about anything you want it to say if you take it out of its context. That's why we have to stand firm by the Word of God, studying the Scripture, put into together, and that's why our goal and plan is to teach the Bible. The third thing is let's, let's rest in God's comfort and strength as we serve him now. Just realize this on our words, that's our message, must be based on the truth of the Bible, and then our deeds, which is our actions, our works, that's in God's love, in God's power. So we want to stand strong, even now, serving God in his strength, knowing that one day, we're going to see the glory, the great glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we will never be a part of that tribulation.